All right, take your Bibles and turn to Psalm, Proverbs 15, Proverbs 15. Proverbs 15. All right. We love kids, just reminding you. <laughs> we love them to death around here. And uh, so uh, we're rooting for you. <laughs> All right, here we go. Proverbs 15. What I want to do to begin with is I want to tell you that uh, we're in the daily Bible reading, and I want to read those verses that are a part of the daily Bible reading for this week, uh, a couple of them anyway. And then uh, this is actually part two of what we did last week. So let's begin in chapter 15. Let's begin down there at verse 5, shall we? A fool despises his father's instruction. But he who receives correction is prudent. In the house of the righteous there is much treasure, but in the revenue or the occupation or the income of the wicked is trouble. The lips of the wise disperse knowledge, but the heart of the fool does not do so. And then verse 8. 9, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he loves him who follows righteousness. And then uh, finally, verse 10, uh, because verse 5 and verse 10 we're going to put together today, harsh discipline is for him who forsakes the way. And he who hates correction will die. Now, those are harsh words, aren't they? Um, they are from the Old Testament. They are from the book of Proverbs. They are from a book of wisdom that God has given not only to us, but to the rest of the world. Uh, the principles that are here are valuable for anybody. And so, God gave King Solomon the wisdom to write this. And the key problem and the challenge that we have is how can we most effectively use these Proverbs in our own personal daily lives? Like anything that we read in God's Word, it's so easy for us to read it and then think of the world or think of our community or think of other people and say, well, I'll tell you what, they certainly need all of that. That's so easy to do. But in reality, what we need to do is say, I need that. How can I see myself in each of these particular Proverbs? And so it's very, very important for us to put ourselves into the action. That's what I often say when we're reading a narrative of Scripture. Put yourself right into the action and choose who you're going to be. For instance, when you look at verse 5, you're going to choose who you want to be. You have three possibilities. You can be a fool, right? Or you can be the father who is instructing the child, right? Teenager, no doubt, at this point. Or number three, you can be the prudent one. 
Now, I, without a show of hands, how many want to be the fool? <laughs> Nobody. How many want to be the prudent man? All right. How many know the frustration of being the father who has a problem getting his kids to listen to his advice? Amen. Say amen. Say amen. amen. Okay? <laughs> so you get to choose what you want to do. You, and and, and, and pick, pick someone that applies to you. If you go to the next verse, <clears throat> you have the same thing. In verse 6, it says, In the house of the righteous there is much treasure, but in the revenue of the wicked is trouble. Who do you want to be? You have two choices here. You can be a righteous person, right? Or you can be a what? Wicked person. <laughs> Choose. Choose. Now, he says in verse 6 that if you happen to live in the house of a, you're a righteous person, then in your house there is much treasure. All you need to go, it doesn't make any difference. He, he's not excluding material wealth. He's not excluding that. Because there are many passages of Scripture that teach us that righteous people can be materially well off if they work. You're not, you're not, the Proverbs are filled with those kind of verses of Scripture. But you and I need to go home and look around. You and I need to go home and look around and, and, and look at where is the wealth in my house. It kind of reminds me of the gentleman who had a visitor. And the gentleman was at the house of this um, husband and wife who had like uh, 10 kids. And of course, in the house with 10 kids, you didn't have the best furniture, you didn't have the best of anything. And uh, the guy looked at him and said, uh, he said, boy, I'll tell you what, you'd be a wealthy couple if you didn't have all these kids. You'd be a wealthy couple if you didn't have all these kids. And he looked at them and he said, my kids are all priceless. They are treasures like you can't imagine. I wouldn't get rid of a single one of them. Uh, in the house of the righteous is treasure. But notice what he says, as do most of the Proverbs. They give you a contrast between a good thing and a bad thing. But he says, in the revenue or in the income or the outcome of the occupation of the wicked person is what? Trouble. Now, we're not going to work that out today, but you and I could come up with many, many illustrations of how those who are wicked get themselves into trouble because of their wickedness in relationship to their occupation or their, or their income. But that's the practicality that Solomon is bringing to the Proverbs. Let's look at one other one as an example of a choice that you can make this super personal. In verse 7, the Bible says, The lips of the wise disperse knowledge, but the heart of the fool does not do so. You have a choice. You can be a wise person, or you can be a foolish person. It's your choice. And the thing is that uh, I don't think any of us would want to be the foolish person. Now, Let's stay on verse 7 for just a second, and let me give you another, another thing that you and I need to consider 
you're not only going to pick, pick, pick somebody that you can identify in a passage of Scripture, but you're also going to look carefully at the circumstances of that passage of Scripture. You're going to look very, very carefully at what the neighborhood looks like. What is going on around you? We've talked about this, but I want to continue to encourage you with that. And so, when you look at verse 5, for instance, when he says that a fool despises his father's instruction, but he who receives correction is prudent, what are the circumstances? You have a father who's trying to give good advice to his son. Wish I had a nickel for every time. No, I don't. But I, 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 I can, I, my mind, I can flash back in my mind to many times when my father gave me great advice and I didn't take it. Some of those situations are so embarrassing that I wouldn't even dare share them with you. But eventually, we need to grow, and as we grow and we learn more about the wisdom of our parents, then we begin to take them more seriously, do we not? And so, I would have said to you that I first put myself in the position of a fool, but I have since learned that it's important to listen to the good advice of your father, and so I have become a wise person in that regard. That's what I'd like to be able to say to you. But those are the circumstances. Now, look at verse 8 and 9, okay? Here's another illustration of circumstance, all right? The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but the prayer of the upright is his delight. What is the wicked doing in this verse? The wicked are what? Sacrificing. All right, now, sacrifice is associated with what? What activity is sacrifice associated with? It is associated with worship. It is associated with going to church. It's associated with spiritual exercises. Because the second part of this is not the, the upright is doing what in verse 8? What's the upright doing? Everybody together. Praying. And that's a spiritual exercise as well. So the context or the circumstances of this particular passage of Scripture are we are in the house of the Lord. Now, if you're in the house of the Lord and you're a wicked person, guess what? Lord isn't accepting the worship. If you're in the house of the Lord and you're a righteous person, the Bible says he is well pleased and he's delighted with your worship. Now, doesn't mean our worship is perfect, is it? Not at all. Some of us can sing, some of us can't sing. Like our kids, we're all in a different phase of growing up. We're all in a different phase of learning, uh, learning how, to, how to behave in church. And so we're all in a different phase. It's, it, it's all a matter of the heart, is it not? It's all a matter of the heart. And so the important thing to remember is that if I come to the Lord and I'm, I'm, I'm living a wicked life, then the important thing is that if I, if, if I come to the, a church service 
and, and, and I'm a wicked person, and then I walk out of here and I live my life, and uh, I don't have any regard for what the Lord wants me to do, and I just, and, and it's only on Sunday that I, be, I come in and I behave in a religious way. The Bible says there's the danger that I will not accept your worship, right? And we have many illustrations of that in Scripture. But the Bible also says in this passage of Scripture that if I am upright and I am engaged in worship, that God is very pleased with my worship, as imperfect as it may be. Now, there's a third illustration real quick that I want to give to you before we move on, and that's in verse 9. The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he loves him who follows righteousness. Now, I'm going to pick uh, someone to identify with, but I'm also going to try to figure out what the circumstances are. Can anybody tell me what the circumstances of verse 9 are? The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he loves him who follows righteousness. What words are going to give you an idea of what the circumstances are all about? Anybody? Can you, can you figure it out? At this point, you can tell I really want a response. <laughs> if I can get one. Well, what, what, the, what are those first couple of words? The path or the way. The path or the way are two words that mean pretty much the same thing. And it implies that you and I are walking down a path or we're walking on a road or we're in a way that we're moving in a certain direction. The way of the Lord is the way God wants us to walk. And so the action in, on the path is our walking. So this would be a good reference to our daily life, right? This would be a good reference to how I live my life, my lifestyle. And so I look at that and say that's the circumstance of this passage of Scripture. The way of the wicked is an abomination to the Lord, but he loves him who follows righteousness. And there you are. You choose. Do you want to be the wicked person or do you want to be the upright person? Now, let's, let's close with putting two passages of Scripture together. But I want to remind you of very important principle that we looked at last week. Uh, let's read the two verses of Scripture. Let's put them together and then let's remember what we need to do. A fool does what? Despises his father's instruction. We want to stay very clear of that. But number two, he who receives correction is prudent. Now, as important as it is for you to pick out who you are in this passage of Scripture... It's just as important for you to recognize that there's an action that you want to put off and that, more importantly, an action that you want to put on. So, what we, what's the action we want to put off in this passage of Scripture? Despising correction, right? Because that comes from foolishness. What's the action we want to put on? 
the action of receiving correction, being willing to receive a good advice. Now, what's the reason why, and Harold, you gave it to us, what's one of the, one of the, one of the words, what's the reason why you don't want to despise your father's instruction? Because you don't want to be a what? A fool. What is the reason why you want to receive correction? Because you want to be prudent. Now, if you could care less about being prudent, then the passage of Scripture doesn't mean anything to you. Now, jump down to verse 10, all right? Harsh discipline is for him who forsakes the way, and he who hates correction will die. You see those two passages of Scripture go together. Um, what, is the, what are the two people? Number one, the person who forsakes the way. He's the one who forsakes the lifestyle that God has set up for him as a Christian to follow. A lifestyle that God has set up for him to glorify the Lord and honor the Lord. And in this particular case, he doesn't give us any good situation to look at. He says, harsh discipline is for him who forsakes the way. The way will be hard. Life will be difficult. Problems will develop that you probably can't imagine if you forsake the way. And if you forsake the way, and in the process, it's because you hate what? Correction. What will be the end result? Death. So you choose who you want to be, the implied person here that is not the wicked person is the righteous person who avoids all of this. You put off what? You put off the problem of hating correction and the reason why you do that is because you don't want what to happen? Two things. You don't want discipline, harsh discipline. And number two, you don't want death. See, see how that is? See how that is? Now, let's, let's, let's remember what we did in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. That's how he begins the letter. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. The world is the problem, right? Everybody remember that? The world is the problem. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And the problem is that if I am involved so deeply in the world that I care about the pressure that the world is putting on me, I'm going to do what thing I shouldn't do. I'm going to, everybody together, I'm going to conform to the world. I should have everybody turn to that passage, shouldn't I? All right, let's, let's all go to chapter, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Let's go there. All right. <clears throat> so in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, just so you can see it, um, the world is the problem, right? And the world, if I'm not careful, is going to force me into its mold. And if I get forced into the mold that the world has for me, then I'm going to what? In verse 2, I'm going to conform to the world. God says, however, that I'm to get rid of that 
Put that off. I'm a new creature in Christ. Instead of being conformed to the world, I'm to be what? Transformed. You all see that? Okay. Now, the transformation occurs through what process? It occurs through what process? It's right there in the verse. You didn't come to hear me preach this morning. You came to hear the Word of God. I'm certain of that. So look at the verse. For What does he say in verse 2? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what process? By the renewing of your mind. And in the renewing of your mind, you're going to prove four things. You're going to prove that the will of God is good, acceptable, and perfect. Because it is, number four, what God wants you to do. All right? Now, motivation is extremely important. We talked about that last week. Motivation is critical. So when Paul in Ephesians says to us, put off the old man with its deeds and put on the new man, what's the process, he says, we are to use? We put off the old man and we put on the, renew, the, the new man by the what? The renewing of our minds. Now, this is so critical that I'm going to give you a third one. I, I'm, I, you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. This is so critical. Because every time you go through the Proverbs and you look at identifying yourself with a person and you look at the negative thing that's there and the positive thing, what does God not want me to do? What does He want me to do? You have to ask that final question and you must apply it to yourself. Why does God want me to do this instead of this? Where's the reasons for doing this instead of this? So let's look at 2 Corinthians for just a second. We're in chapter 10. Now I'm just going to read briefly the first three verses and then you'll see where I'm going with this. Now I, Paul, myself am pleading with you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ who in presence am lowly among you, but being absent am bold toward you. But I beg you. Why is he begging the congregation at Corinth? But I beg you that when I am present, I may not be bold with that confidence by which I intended to be bold against some who think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. The reason why he's very bold with the congregation at Corinth is because there is a huge element of people at Corinth that thinks that Paul is what? walking according to the flesh. Now, can you imagine that? That's what they think. But notice how he answers that question. In verse 3, he says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war against the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. We're living a life in a battle where we have to constantly deal with strongholds and we need to pull them down. That's what he says. Now, notice what we, how he describes that in verse 5. He describes these, these strongholds as arguments, every high thing exalting itself against the knowledge of God, so that we can bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. So he gets really serious about this whole issue of you and I having our minds renewed um, by using this spiritual warfare illustration for us. And if we're going to pull down the strongholds that the devil sets up, 
If we're going to deal with this spiritual battle that we have, we're going to have to understand that our minds are going to be renewed. We need to cast down arguments that are against the knowledge of God, and we need to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. That's what he says. That's what he says. Now, I have used this illustration many times, but if there's one person here this morning who has not heard this illustration, let me use it in the most easiest possible way I possibly can. Y'all remember the little boy who is sitting on a bench, and he's reading his Bible, and he's reading John 3.16, and he's reading, For God so loved the world, everybody together, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And he hears a voice. No, it's not true. Don't believe it. There's not a word of truth in it. And so he looks around and doesn't see anybody, and he goes back to reading it again in his Bible, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And he hears that voice a little stronger saying, that's just a bunch of baloney. There's no truth to it whatsoever. God does not love the world, and he certainly didn't give his son to die. He looks up again, and he sees nobody, and he starts reading the third time. And as he starts reading it the third time, he hears the voice again, and he realizes what's going on. He realizes how he needs to respond, and he takes his Bible, and he puts it under his bench, and he says, there, devil, read it yourself. See the point? There, devil, read it yourself. God gives us reasons for doing what... He's not the kind of parent that says... God is not the kind of parent who says, do it because I told you so. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't times when he wants us to step out in faith and he doesn't give us completely an idea of where he's coming from. But almost in every case that he asks us to do something, he gives us the clear reasons for doing what he wants us to do. Now, i got to be honest with you. I... uh, I just got started. (laughs) Um, The big question is, how do I end this? Because I have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I have nine things to go through in order to end this, and I can't do it. Let me end it this way. Do you remember when the prodigal son was home and he said to his dad, he said, listen. He said, I want what's coming to me. I'm leaving home. Do you remember that? And you'll remember that he went and he left home and he, of course, he had to suffer the consequences of his action. God imposed some harsh discipline there and he ended up eating the stuff that was fed to the pigs. And while he was there, he came to himself. Now, he's a good illustration of the fact that there was a period of time when he would not have listened to his father's wisdom. He would not listen to his father's advice. He could care less about what his father thought. And you and I need to keep in mind that there are many times when we need to ask ourselves, do we care about what God thinks? Do we care about what God wants? Is God's advice and instruction to us really important? 
Fortunately, under the discipline that God submitted him to, he came to himself. And he said, I'm going home. I'm going home. And I'm going to suffer the consequences, whatever they may be. He found that he had a loving Heavenly Father. And everything worked out very, very well for him. I just want to remind you of two passages of Scripture as I close today. They're both in uh, the Old Testament. The first one's in 2 Chronicles chapter 36. I'm going to read it. I've got to depend upon you to use your intellectual ability to put it the application where it needs to be. But I want you to go back to 2 Chronicles chapter 36, 15, 16, and 17, three verses of Scripture. This is one of the saddest passages of Scripture in the Bible. Sad because these are God's final words to Israel. Israel has been decimated by now. Israel has been practically destroyed by now. But in 2 Chronicles chapter 36, beginning at verse 15, what does the Bible say? And the Lord God of their fathers sent warnings to them by his messengers, rising up early and sending them because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets. Until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people, till there was no remedy. Therefore he brought against them the king of the Chaldeans, who killed their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary, and had no compassion on young men, or virgin, or the aged, or the weak. He gave them all into his hands. And then finally, this is it. And believe it or not, we're going to be done at 1030. Jeremiah chapter 6, you see, because it's important for us to understand that God is not only a God of firm, stern discipline, a God of good advice that if we choose not to accept it, we have to suffer the consequences of it. But what does the Bible say in Jeremiah chapter 6, verses 16 and 19? I'll read these verses. I will not expound upon them. You then and I can apply them where we need to apply them. In chapter 6 of Jeremiah, verses 16, Thus says the Lord, Stand in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths where the good way is, and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. But they said, We will not walk in it. Also I set watchmen over you, saying, Listen to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, We will not listen to the sound of the trumpet. Therefore hear you nations, and know, O congregation, what is among them. Hear, O earth, behold, I will certainly bring calamity on this people, and etc., 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 because my law they reject. But I want to tell you something. He hasn't taken away the first verse of that passage of Scripture. In verse 16, he says, listen, stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it. And you shall what? Find rest for your souls. That invitation is still open. It's open for us as individuals. It's open to us as families. It's open to us as a nation. It's open to us as a world. And so uh, let's close in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. We ask for your blessing 
Help us to tweak our understanding of Scripture as we devote our time to these little details that matter so much in the Proverbs. In Jesus, your name we pray. Amen.